I have just the activity to help you chase away the winter blues. It involves taking just 15 minutes of your time, and it also involves watching the birds in your backyard. This activity, my friends, is called the Great Backyard Bird Count, and it is happening this year on February the 12th through the 15th. Now, this activity is coordinated by the National Audubon Society, as well as other organizations, to serve as an instant snapshot of bird life around the world. Since bird populations are constantly changing, the information you collect from the Great Backyard Bird Count helps scientists understand more about birds and how they are affected by environmental changes. The data collected over the years can display how certain species of bird populations are increasing or decreasing. It can also show scientists what kind of birds are inhabiting cities and suburbs compared to natural areas. So in this episode, I am visiting with Dr. Matthew Springer, our Assistant Extension Professor for Wildlife Management with the University of Kentucky, to get all the scoop on what's involved with the Great Backyard Bird Count. Now, before we dive into today's content, I have a favor to ask. If you enjoy listening to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast, let me know with a review on Apple Podcasts. Leaving a review is super simple. Just pop open that purple app on your phone, share your biggest takeaway from an episode or what you would like to hear featured in the future. And as always, thank you for listening and for leaving me a review on the podcast. Now, let's get to today's content. Welcome to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. This gardening show will equip and inspire avid gardeners with weekly tips and tricks to help them navigate the gardening world. The show will also highlight specific growing requirements for several plants so the sun will shine brighter over their Kentucky garden. And now, here is that ray of sunshine, garden enthusiast and horticulture extension agent, Kristen Hildebrand, with the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. I am so excited to have on the show with us, Dr. Matt Springer, and he's our wildlife extension specialist. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm fine. How about yourself, Kristen? Good, good. I'm doing well. I'm so excited that you're going to be talking to us today because one of those topics is the great backyard bird count. And I know that a lot of gardeners are spending more time at home and some people already might know about this particular activity that they can do. I'm really excited that you're going to be able to talk to us about it. First, I do want to ask you, what have you been up to lately? Well, and I know why you're asking that because I have a very unique answer. So over the last week or so, I have been doing on the research side of things for my appointment is we are involved with the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources on a project looking at adult cow, elk, so adult female elk and their calf survival rates in Kentucky in the elk zone. So the past week, as part of that project, we were actually catching elk with a helicopter to put GPS transmitters and take some biological data from them down in Southeast Kentucky. So there's a video if you want to see it that's going to be coming out because that does sound a little weird and goofy and it is quite the event, but there will be a video associated with the project on our website at the Forestry Department, Forestry National Resource Department here at UK. So if you want to look or you can reach out and contact me personally and I can send you the link to see what that looks like because it's an ordeal Yeah, for sure. I don't think I ever knew that y'all were a part of that kind of stuff. 
here in Kentucky as agents, you know, we handled those type of questions, you know, related to wildlife. But that's pretty amazing. Did you ever think you'd be able to be doing that? Well, I can tell you, I'm glad I'm not the one in the helicopter chasing the elk because they're flying about 10 feet above the ground and they shoot a net over top of the elk to catch them. So it is low altitude, very fast flying, which would result in me getting very sick. So I'm glad I'm not personally doing it. But yeah, to be honest, one of the reasons I got into my position is to do that kind of stuff. So yes, I could say I did want to eventually do that. This is just a different aspect of how we do wildlife research on larger animals. So it's one of the reasons I'm in the field I'm in. Right, right. Can you give us a little bit of your background real quick too? Because you're not from Kentucky originally, are you? No, I would think my voice gives that away pretty quickly. So I am originally from Pennsylvania. I grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour outside of Philadelphia. And in many ways, to me, it was the best of both worlds because I was close to a whole bunch of museums and Philadelphia museums, all the history associated with the founding of our country. Like those were like our school field trips, New York City, that kind of stuff. But then Appalachian Trail was 30 minutes from where I was. So I got to go up and hiked and spent a lot of time in the woods and grew up hunting, fishing, that kind of stuff. So that's kind of where my love of the outdoors came from. So I had the urban rural gradient right there within basically a half an hour each way. And then did some undergrad school in Pennsylvania, did my master's at the University of Delaware on deer damage to winter wheat. And then I did a PhD at Southern Illinois University Carbondale looking at deer movements and the potential to spread chronic wasting disease. So that's kind of my background, but most of my interest really lies in wildlife damage issues. That's awesome. And I knew Illinois was in there somewhere and then you took me to Delaware next. And I was like, okay, Illinois is in there somewhere. (laughs) Yep. Bounced around a little bit. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think everybody has a unique story. And so I kind of wanted to capture that in this show today. But let's get back to the topic at hand, because I know that a lot of people are really gearing up for this backyard bird count. And for this year, it's going to occur on the weekend, kind of right around Valentine's Day, if you want to spend some time outdoors. But February the 12th through the 15th, for this year. And I think it's a fun activity, basically just observing what type of birds are around you. But do you care to give us a breakdown of what all is involved with that backyard bird count? Sure. So it's a really great opportunity for folks that want to get involved with citizen science that love the outdoors, because really it's a giant citizen science program that is a basically a partnership between the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, which is kind of like the spot for bird research in the world, Audubon Society, And then Birds Canada. So this is a international event, really. They're asking for folks anywhere in the world to participate. And give you an idea, in in 2020, in the last one, there were 194 countries that submitted data. Greater than almost 7,000 species were recorded. Total of just over 27 million birds were reported with over 268,000 people actually participating in the event. So it's a massive data grab for scientists like me or like the researchers that allows you to kind of over time track the trends of different populations of birds and different species. So that tight window allows them to really look at the status of species across the world. And this kind of relates back to that. There's that report in the news about how the bird populations were all crashing. This is where that comes from. Events like this is what provides data to allow us to understand populations. So What this really is, is basically just asking anyone who has about 15 minutes over that course of that time period that wants to go out and count birds to do so. And really, they're only asking that you go out, identify the birds you see, 
So you have to be able to identify species. Now they have tools that we're, I'm going to talk about to help you do that. Basically, identify the species and count the number of individuals you see of that species and go into a form by the end of March 1st, before March 1st, and submit what you see. Now, for some folks that are avid birders, identifying birds is what they love to do and they're really good at it. Now, for me, I can identify a lot of birds. I can't identify every bird, even in Kentucky. So they have provided multiple ways of learning birds and also utilizing tools that if you see a bird, you can pull up an app on your phone and say, I am here in Kentucky, in Eastern Kentucky. And I saw a bird that's black and white and has a red head and it's about yay big and it's in trees. And that app will actually, using that information, will basically whittle down all the options that could exist, the most likely options for what you saw in that location. And then it'll provide pictures and all kinds of information that you can hopefully correctly identify that bird. Yeah, and that's really, really helpful for, like you said, some of us that might not know all the birds out there. And to tell you the truth, I'm really a novice. Like, And I think with this, you have to be specific. Like, You can't just say it's a cardinal bird. It's like a certain species of cardinal. Is that right? Well, cardinal is its own species, so you picked a bad example there. But okay, you can't okay. just say woodpecker. So we have, you know, in my backyard yesterday, for example, I had three different woodpecker species on my suet feeder at one time. So they would want to know exactly which woodpecker you're talking about. So whether it's a downy woodpecker, hairy woodpecker, maybe a red-bellied woodpecker, a red-headed woodpecker, a yellow-bellied sapsucker, pileated woodpecker. So you can see that there's a lot of options. So they really want you to know which species you're looking at. However, you can still track the species you can identify and report them. So if you don't know it, then you wouldn't want to report it, right? You want to make sure that you report what you know. But even reporting cardinals or say starlings or goldfinches, some of the easier ones to identify, is important for them to track those species over time. I seem like I've got a bunch of blue jays right now around the house. But it's interesting, once the foliage kind of goes away on some of our deciduous trees, how it magnifies some of our birds a little bit more because they're not as hidden underneath the foliage. Yeah, so we have a lot of very tiny birds, especially our warblers are really tiny or kinglets. So when they don't have even the smallest leaves to hide next to, all of a sudden you see a lot of little movement going around in the treetops. And yeah, we do have a lot of birds in our state. And like you said, when those leaves come off, it's amazing to see how alive the forest is or even your backyard. I think it's a great opportunity for folks to connect to nature and really see how things are going, even in your backyard. And right now, depending on your situation with your house, you can have a bird feeder outside or maybe you don't have a bird feeder, but you can just look out the window for 15 minutes and with binoculars, without binoculars. Binoculars makes it easier, but you don't need them to participate. You can sit there and and try to identify what's going on and help our scientists that are interested in ornithology track what's going on with our populations of birds. So whenever you talk about you can watch simply from your window, do you specifically have to mark like the geographical location whenever you're taking data for the backyard bird count? So when you enter the data into either, I think you can enter through the Merlin app, which is a free app that they provide that is the one that kind of helps you identify birds, or they use the eBird framework, which is a mobile app for your phone, or you can go on a computer. You can, if I remember correctly, say something as simple as your town, or you can try to be as precise as possible. There's a couple features in there that help you do that. Whatever location-wise, they have a system in place to mask Yeah, where you are, you can't connect your location to your sightings. And there's a privacy settings set up in there. And that actually is a point of contention for folks when there's like rare birds that may pop up. 
in the state and they enter them into eBird so they can track them. And all of a sudden you can search eBird and see where species are. If you want to go find a certain species, it'll help you kind of get in the relative area of things, but it won't tell you, oh, go to this person's address. It's in their backyard, which is a good thing because that sometimes gets a little awkward when someone has a rare bird in their backyard. They may not even know that they have a rare bird in their backyard. And all of a sudden there's like 30 people with very big optics and cameras trying to take pictures on their property. I guess that would be an exciting time to add to 2021. With it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, it'd be something for sure. Now the person that is there whose property is probably is not so excited about it. That's a very good point that you bring up. So I want to backtrack just a little bit because one of the things that you mentioned just in conversation there was binoculars. I know there's different probably budgets with those binoculars. If I was just a backyard enthusiast that wanted to participate, you really don't have to spend a ton of money just on binoculars, do you? No, you can go get a relatively inexpensive pair, say $50 or less. Say you have a bird feeder that might be 20 feet outside a window and you just want to identify what birds are in that bird feeder. A lot of times you don't even need the binoculars at that distance to pick out the features and characteristics of birds to identify them. But a set of binoculars is always going to help. It can't hurt. But yeah, you can quickly spend... 10,000 plus on optics to look at birds. When you start talking about high quality binoculars or spotting scopes, there's times when those are very necessary for folks, especially those that are doing research. But for most people that are just want to kind of watch birds in their backyard, there's no reason to spend more than $100 on binoculars, to be honest. And in many ways, you can still enjoy birds without binoculars or optics, for sure. Okay. Well, I wanted to ask that because I know depending on your interests, what your interests are, I just might want to participate and have something fun to do for the winter time. <laughs> and I don't want to spend a lot of money. So I wanted to ask you about that. But then there might be other people that want to spend a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, it's there are folks that get very excited about burning and really enjoy it. And, you know, they have life lists where they're trying to, to find all the species that they can in their lifetime for, you know, say the state of Kentucky or North America and so on. So they tend to start getting tools that help them identify birds that one of those birds that they need may only catch a glimpse for five seconds. So they need to try to pick out as many characteristics as possible and better quality optics do help. However, if you're just trying to do this out of enjoyment or seeing if you enjoy it the first time, I would not spend the money on the front end until you know you are going to be spending more time and make it a hobby for you. For sure. It's like anything else. You don't need to dive headfirst the first time you go. Sometimes you don't want to dive headfirst the first time you go swimming in a pool. So. <laughs> oh, that's exactly right. You kind of get overwhelmed for sure. Now, whenever we talked about the binoculars, I guess we also need to count like how many numbers of those birds we're seeing. And it would probably be just best to what use your phone or a tablet, something that you can write that stuff down on. I would say anything that personal preference for comfort and the ability to record data, right? So we're going to say data when we number of individuals. And you're trying to count a animal that does not tend to sit still very long because if they sit still, a raptor may come down and grab them and make them lunch. So you do the best you can. Perfection is almost never achievable, but always strive for it. And you can find downloadable forms that you can use to keep track of individuals and Usually, you are going to do pretty well on being able to count birds in a certain time period. And they're really talking about 15-minute intervals here. So on 15 minutes and standing in one spot, you see what you can see. 
And usually you're not going to get overwhelmed. However, if you have a big flock of blackbirds fly over your head, which, you know, we have those in Kentucky at this time of year, you do your best you can. <laughs> Let's be honest, just do the best you can. Yeah, well, um, and, and I appreciate you saying you're not going to probably get that perfection automatically. Like you said, they do tend to move around and there may be different situations based on that particular time frame that you're in. But just do absolutely the best you can. Yeah, we have we try to count animals a lot in wildlife management and we have folks that will fly over lakes and rivers trying to count waterfowl during the winter as part of their monitoring for populations. And they'll come over uh, when lakes are frozen up, there'll be one open spot in the entire lake and there may be like 8,000 geese and ducks in this one spot and they're flying over an area that's like three acres in size trying to count 8,000 birds. And they say about 8,000. It's as close as you can get. It's not perfect, but it allows... Over time, you're able to look at trends of data and help determine statuses of populations and need. Yeah, and it is really cool. Like there's a bunch of other countries that participate and you said this is kind of a a big national wide event because of all these different organizations that participate. I do want to ask you, and you probably mentioned it way back when we first started this talk, but what type of resources would be helpful for some of our folks that do want to participate that would be helpful? Because like, I don't know all the birds that there are, and I'm sure that you could probably maybe address some of the few common ones we see, but also tell us about some resources that would be useful. Sure. So let's start off with the resources that are useful, and then I'll try to get into the common birds that are what I saw in my backyard yesterday. How would okay. we go with that? Okay. So for those that have smart devices, so iPads, tablets, iPhones, Androids, there are two apps that they need to be aware of. Actually, the apps that they could use to report their data if they participate. And that is the Merlin app, M-E-R-L-I-N, and then eBird, E-Bird. And the Merlin app is where I would suggest starting because eBird's really just about entering data and looking at where people are seeing birds. Merlin is the one that has all the, you can download Southeast states, regions. It's kind of like a field guide for your phone, but it helps you find things a lot quicker because of the tools that are in there. If you don't have those options, then just go the traditional route of getting a field guide from a bookstore. And they'll talk about ways to identify birds within that, that obviously a field guide that's two inches thick, that's five or 600 pages. It's going to be hard to look for things, but birds are grouped into to smaller searchable families by their characteristics. So what it'll basically tell you is you look for one of them is really beak shape, head and beak shape. So if you look at the bird, take a look at the beak shape that can tell you if it's a finch or a woodpecker or a duck or a raptor. You know, so that will help you narrow it down and use that book more effectively. So those are really the two bigger things. And, you know, internet, you can always search for things, multiple tools that pop up. One really cool one I saw that Minnesota DNR just put out is actually a interactive poster, virtual poster that has all the common birds you'd see in your backyard right now. And you could click on it and it plays their song for the winter. That was a really cool one. There's a lot of resources out there to help you identify birds. And you could just Google how to identify birds and stuff will pop up, to be honest. That is useful. So just Cornell Lab Ornithology has an amazing resource database for that kind of stuff. And that's where I would start if you want to go the internet route. So some of the common birds that you'd see in your backyard, you mentioned one at the get-go, right? Probably one of the easiest to identify, at least the males in Kentucky, is the cardinal. Has that bright red plumage. 
almost entirely red. And the female is a little bit more drab olive color with some red hints in it. It has a bright orange beak and black on the face. And a lot of times you'll see them together right now. And they stand out. So with the snow yesterday, I think I had like 13 different cardinals on my feeder, like seven or eight males. It was, that contrast really was gorgeous. The other one, it's a pretty common one, both urban and rural settings, blue jay. Male and females look basically the same. They have, they're a larger bird, pretty big head, blue and white and black coloration. And they make a lot of noise. They squawk a ton. The corvids that are incredibly intelligent and problem solvers. So sometimes they get themselves in trouble for that. Other birds that are pretty common right now include chickadees, which are smaller bird that have kind of white cheeks and black cat on. They'll actually be singing now too. So they make a kind of sound that is a cadence uh, for descending notes. And then they're really common. Goldfinch, their wings have white bars on them and they will be a yellowish color to them. The males, if they have a little bit more plumage, they're not going to be fully breeding plumaged out bright yellow right now, but they'll have a little more yellow on them than the females. And then lots of sparrow species. And unfortunately, those sparrows are really hard to identify. And that's one group that optics is really handy because sometimes you're looking for colorations on the head that without optics, you would not be able to identify that in the species. Uh, Some are easier, the white throat, the chipping sparrow has a little brown cap on the top and it's really tiny. So there's a couple that are a little easier, but there's several, they're still difficult for me without having optics and taking a really good look at them. So those are probably more common ones that you see. Tufted tit mice are a gray bird, black beak that will have a crown. So that's the top of the head. It's like the hat that raises up and down. That'll come up and they uh, are often angry characters that call at you when you're around and sound alarm calls. So they're another really common one that's present in backyards at feeders. I mean, I can go on. I mean, we have over 300 species of birds, so we've got a lot. Well, at least you hit the highlights. You know, some of them you're definitely going to be more familiar with than some of the others. But yet again, this is kind of beginning of things that you might really enjoy doing with your family. So Matt, did you have anything else you wanted to share about the backyard bird count? I think you've covered everything really so, well. I got one more thing I'm going to throw in there. So this is part of an annual survey, right? So the backyard bird count is one weekend as part of a survey, but they have other counts happen. Like the Christmas bird count is kind of the same idea, like a two-day window that they're counting birds at different times. And you have the breeding bird survey in the summer. And so there's multiple different citizen science events. If, they, if you enjoy this, that there's other events that go on throughout the year that you can also participate in that as you partake in it, you will get better and better at identifying birds, for sure. Yes. Well, I really appreciate your time today on the podcast, and hopefully we can have you back on the podcast again in the future. Absolutely. Would love to. Thanks. Remember to mark your calendar for the Great Backyard Bird Count because it's a fun and rewarding experience for people of all ages. It encourages gardeners to venture outside, or they can even simply watch inside from their kitchen window. I hope that you enjoyed our discussion today over the Great Backyard Bird Count, and a special thank you to Dr. Matthew Springer for being on the podcast as well. Now, if you want to view the show notes for episode 13 over the Great Backyard Bird Count, visit me on the blog at Warren County Agriculture. You can go to www.warrencountyagriculture.com. And in the show notes, I've listed more information about the Merlin app and also the eBird app that Dr. Springer 
Center mentioned in the talk today, as well as where to get more information about how to participate in the Great Backyard Bird Count. As always, gardeners, thank you for listening to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast, and keep on digging into gardening, and remember to add a little sunshine. Thanks for listening to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast with Kristen Hildebrand. If you enjoyed today's content, make sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to catch future segments of the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. Gardeners, keep on digging and learning more about gardening so the sun shines brighter over your Kentucky garden. The Sunshine Gardening Podcast with Kristen Hildebrand is a production of the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service.